Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Retro Anime Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with Lewis. Hello Lewis. Hello everyone. Right, how are we doing? How's lockdown? Lockdown life is as good as it gets. I've got nothing to do but work seven days a week and watch anime in my spare time. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, 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 pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, it's um it's a weird time not being able to go out. Um, it's allowed me to catch up on some films and stuff that I've been meaning to watch as well. So uh, it, it certainly uh, has its positives. Certainly got a lot more money in the bank than I normally have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not allowed to go out anymore. So like I'm saving hundreds. I'm not like drinking yeah. out in the city, so that's fine. <laughs> Yes, yes. So here we are again, still in this um, weird time of the uh, coronavirus lockdown or the coronavirus global pandemic. So um, we'll see how many podcasts we can do during this uh, this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Use it as a sort of timestamp of, uh, of when the the uh, pandemic lasted, I guess. So today, a couple of OVAs, one from the late 80s, one from the early 90s. So first up is Take the X Train, which is a one-shot OVA. Um, so pick this because this kind of falls in that sort of experimental anime type thing, a bit like Twilight Q. And then uh, also doing Here is Greenwood, which is a kind of slice of life OVA. This one, it has a sort of fairly constant popularity to it. I remember watching it about 10 years ago, probably in the very late... 2000s i remember on on various forums i was on at the time it was one of those things that seemed to get fairly constant positive sort of chatter about it and i watched it then and even over the sort of all the time period since i've last watched it it's one of those things that just seems to sort of every bubble up but again it's that kind of like it seems to get this sort of constant chatter and it still seems to be something that's uh, you know gets coverage and seems to be in people's thoughts so I thought actually I'd revisit it and and re review it um, to kind of see how it's how it's changed or what you know what my opinion of it has changed in the period since I last watched it. So again, I'd seen these before the reviews, but these are your first time viewings, aren't they, Lewis? Indeed, they are. Yes. Yes. All right, we'll get into it. So our first review today is Take the X Train. So this is a one-shot OVA from 1987, directed by Rintaro. So we've talked about him before on the podcast. In episode 11 of the podcast, we had reviewed The Dagger of Kamui, which he had directed. And this OVA was produced by Madhouse. Um, it's never had a release in the West before, but it now has a decent fan sub courtesy of Gutsy Subs. So I'd watched the fan sub that came out about six years ago of this, and it was really, really ropey. And Gutsies is from a much better source and, and looks much, much better. So, basic sort of premise of this. Uh, Taro, he's a salary man working in, at a rail company. 
and he uh, has these ESP powers which connect him to an electric train which is about to be decommissioned and the electric train sort of awakens and goes on the rampage and it's down to Taro to stop it and we kind of see his attempts to stop it and as he's sort of guided by the shadowy sort of government organisation so uh, Lewis what did you think? <laughs> it's bloody awful isn't it really? It's oh really? Kind of <laughs> I, 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 I really, really enjoyed this I hate it. Oh really? I like I like I like the animation. I think it's really interesting the way it like sort of it does the movements of the characters. Yeah. And it's very smooth and like that's the first thing that really caught my eye is how it like sort of just like illustrated the mundanity of his life every day. Um, yeah. But that's that's just it. It was mundane and so was the story. It could have been told in about 35 minutes with better pacing. Yeah, so this uh, is 50 minutes, so yeah, I don't think it's, it's... It's not particularly long. It's not particularly long, but even that felt like a slug to me. I oh, really, really? I really didn't like it. Like, I felt that it was just... Like, if you're going to do it... I, re- I think it could have been a lot better communicated about his... You know, they, they do a lot of the, like, uh, okay, his nose is bleeding, he's having these, like... He's clearly connected mm. to this, like, this phenomena. But it's just... It's just really weak and really boring... Like, it's just a really boring phenomena, and and it, it takes him across the country for no particular reason. Like no, so I mean, so that's fair enough. There is kind of no point to it as such. Mm. It, Taro has these this ESP which sort of first sort of manifests during some dreadful sort of board meeting or presentation, and he's mm. basically this um, sort of runaround, isn't he? He's this, yeah, he's um, he's enough is is the He's the pencil pusher. He's the coffee runner. Yeah, um, he's not anything special. And um, so the director's having this presentation. Um, so this train is basically about to be replaced by the Shinkansen, and he's basically getting them lunches, topping up their drinks, and sorting out the air conditioning and and that sort of stuff. And then he has this nosebleed, and then it, the next time he has it, it gets ditched. It's after he there's this. I mean, it's quite sort of almost grotesque scene. When they're in a love hotel with his girlfriend and then mm. she sort of drops him and then he has another nosebleed and that's when the X train awakens. Yeah. And then it kind of carries on from there and then there's this, I say, this shadowy government organisation that's trying to sort of investigate his ESP powers. Yeah. Um, so I, I, don't know, I just thought it played along quite well. I just thought it was, I mean, it's one of those things. It's, and it is kind of a, a pure product of the late 80s, so this is pre-bubble bursting, and quite like Twilight Q, you know, it's just that pure sort of experimental, just, yeah, it's an idea, just go and run with it, sort of yeah. thing. Well, I really, I really enjoyed the animation and presentation. Yeah. I just feel like it wasn't really given any weight. Like, you can... It, it, I thought, until the very ending scene, I thought the entire thing was a metaphor for a guy who's so done with, <laughs> you know, it, like, it, like, it, like, for me, the, like, connecting the dots, yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, you know, he's exceptionally bored, he's emotionally distant, he's not taken seriously at work, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's basically, he must be depressed, his girlfriend just dumped him, and all of these are coping mechanisms until he eventually throws himself in front of a train like as a yeah. poetic like you know yeah. i'm done with life but that wasn't the case 
No. And it seems like the entire story was meant to be taken literally. And I was like, that's just bad because it's not a good story. It turns into wacky races. I mean, it is comedic. I mean, it is yeah. kind of played for laughs. There is a... Yeah, I get, that's fine. You know, slightly that's sort of fine. serious under, undertone to it. But fundamentally, it's it's a comedy piece. Yeah, but um, it doesn't give him, like, aside from the fact that he works at a company that's trying to keep the X-Train, that's quite X-Train, in commission, which he has no emotional attachment to the company, he didn't give a toss. No. He's, he's only there to pay some bills. Like, uh, and then he just ends up in this, I guess, fate-tied relationship with this X-Train for yeah. no real reason. And then it's like, okay, we're going to Madoku. And then yeah. his confrontation happens at Madoku. And then, like, from that one confrontation where he stops the train to save a kid, it's apparently now they're bound together by fate. And it's just... And, it, and well, they're so, like, oh, we knew about your ESP for seven years. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really struggle with it. Because I was like... I, I was I was in my head, I was rationalizing. I was like, this would be some galaxy brain level stuff. Some real five head level like story yeah. planning if it's genuinely about a guy who's incredibly bored coping mechanisms with his you know mundane life and then he ends up you know in the situation where he's decided to end his own life by committing suicide in front of a train the very thing that makes his entire life living hell i was like <laughs> that would be what a tie together that's some rintaro you five-head genius like <laughs> but it's not that because it's the ending scene and then it's just like oh I guess I guess we've taken some sort of pseudo Quentin Tarantino take on this this whole this whole OBA I don't I, did, I just didn't get it and I actually I, I watched the ending and I was like oh okay it's not smart I hate it <laughs> uh, yeah I mean so basically, he's he's got the alpha wave and the the matching beta wave is um, yeah, on the train. I mean, it is that I, I, you know I'll give you that. I mean, that bit kind of is it's a there is a sort of flimsy idea there which they've pulled out. But yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't pulled really have ass. any. Sorry, okay. I just I yeah I just didn't really have any problem with the the story of it. I mean, I thought a lot of it kind of played along quite well, really. Yeah. I just thought it was quite interesting. I thought it's quite interesting. For, you know, historically, it's. It's very experimental, you know, of all the bubbles with yeah. sound and stuff. And, you know, they were just kind of playing with, almost playing in his sand pit with this, Rintaro, I think. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Throwing the sand in his eyes. Mm. <laughs> but I just thought it, I mean, I just thought the story just kind of fairly logically within the time frame. It didn't, I mean, there was no, there was no more substance to it to branch it out any more than it. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. Because I think any, if you tried to pad this out anymore, it would have been really, really thinned out and it would have got really laborious um, to watch. But within its runtime, yeah, I just thought it was okay. The, the, you know, the train kind of went along, chased him. Yeah, the wacky racist bit where the train's sort of smashing his car from, from the back and the bit where he gets the creepy train workers, whatever they are, they kidnap him. So he goes through the... Uh, interrogated by the investigators and this i mean some of that i thought was quite good you know it just i read somewhere online doing reading up about it you know someone said it's like a good episode of the twilight zone and i thought actually that was a really good yeah sort of summary i can, get, I can for it. get behind that yeah 
Um, I can get behind that, but it's just, but the Twilight Zone at least has a framework behind it. Yeah. I like, I get this as a sandbox thing. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm throwing it onto the, onto the tracks, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> like, Rintaro's got a good history of just like, you know, he's got about th- three or four real gems. Yeah. In his, uh, in his, under I mean, his belt, but like the majority of his stuff falls slap bang in the middle of mediocrity. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I haven't seen all of, other than the Dagger of Kamiri, uh, Metropolis. Um, I've never seen X um, and and some of the other stuff he's done. I haven't seen a, a huge amount of his work, mm. uh, I have to admit. So there were lots of little details in Sabia that I really liked. I quite liked the fact how the X-Train almost had its own being. That bit where it got to Midoku and it stopped so it didn't run over the child and then the searchlight searched out Taro and almost kind of like telepathically communicated with him before it went on again. And little bits like the sound it makes, it almost, it sounds ghoulish, the X-Train. It sounds like an elephant. I think they used an elephant there. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's an elephant sound design base. Yeah. The sound bed for the, the manipulation. I'm pretty sure that it was um, it was him that stopped the train though. Oh, it might. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure because it's him jumping to actions, realizing that the kid's in danger, and then he like goes into his ESP mode and without like just from kind of being, you know, spare of the moment, like needs must, he like halts the train in its tracks. Yeah, and that's when it searches him out because it knows it's there. Yeah, there. Yeah, ma- yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, but the fact that it searches him out again, that bit kind of indicates, and then the bit where it's flicking cans, the bit where Taro has broken the track to stop him or get the train, mm. and the train's waiting. He falls asleep, and then he it's flicking cans at him to mm. wake him up before it starts chasing him down the train track. It's, there's details in that that I, I really, really liked about it. You know, that's and yeah. that's the kind of thing that kind of really worked for me. There were some layers to it. There were some finer p- points to it uh, that just, yeah, I just, I really kind, kind of picked up on and, and I just really, really liked. Mm-hmm. I thought this was okay. I found it quite laugh out loud funny in places. I thought it yep. just, I thought it was the story kind of chipped along, you know, as... Taro sort of slowly realised what was going wrong and got pulled deeper and deeper in, or his tie of the X-Train got deeper and he got pulled more and more into it. I thought the things with the shadowy black helicopters, because that always seems to be a running joke and stuff, shadowy black helicopters appearing somewhere, yeah. you know, I always, they use that in, I think in one of the first season of South Park, they do that. The cops go, no, you didn't see any black shadowy helicopters. You, you know, it's a very, very old trope but you know maybe a, a sort of early use of it back in back in the late 80s uh, mm-hmm. yeah i just thought it was again like you said the animation is gorgeous i think it looks absolutely fantastic yeah like the, the it's so smooth that yeah. it just it kind of just, i really enjoyed that part i did um you know the uh, you know the electricity the way it sort of flows in the animation is is really well done there's a bit of like ghostbusters there's they basically i think they almost like use a big trap from Ghostbusters, you know the um, yeah, yeah. to try and trap it and, it, and the train just sort of smashes, or it traps something and then it just smashes through it. Um, yeah, you know, there's there's little sort of little references in that. I, I bet there's a few other references that that I've missed as well. I thought it was quite straightforward, simple entertainment that I found very funny 
had some decent sort of visual gags. You know, you kind of felt almost sorry for Taro's predicament. You know, he was kind of pulled into this thing, and I don't want to spoil the ending for people, but he kind of he stops it in the end. But does he? I really enjoyed this. I thought it was just really simple, classic experimental 80s anime, really. Yeah, yeah, and you can, I can give it a benefit of the doubt for its time and for what it is. And uh, I saw one comment on uh, that someone uh, had said, and that I kind of I would agree with. Uh, it's Rintaro can do no wrong, but sometimes he doesn't do right. <laughs> I, th- I read that comment somewhere as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I read that. Um, yeah. And I think that's a good summarization for this. It's forgivably fun. Like yeah. it doesn't take itself seriously. If it was to, if it took itself seriously, I'd be brutal with it. But yeah. I personally, not my cup of tea. I did enjoy the comedy and the animation, but not the actual just, storytelling as such. Yeah, not the actual storytelling. It was just, it just. I was like, I yeah. thought honestly, I thought like if this is a whole big, you know, man's coping mechanism with a unhappy life, in yeah. Yeah, I was like, it's genius. What a, what a, what a play. But it wasn't. It was just, uh, it was taken to be taken literally. But that's okay. <laughs> that's just personally, like, I, I was, my mind was like rationalizing what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe this is some sort of galaxy brain stuff, but it's, it's not. <laughs> um, uh, that's fine. And that's fine. Like, it's, it is yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty enjoyable. And, uh, would I watch it again? No. Oh, uh, you see, I yeah, you see, I watched this probably five years ago, mm. uh, four or five years ago, and I really enjoyed it then. And I have to say, I've enjoyed it just as much watching it again exactly. now. And I would watch, you know, I maybe so, I'd show it to someone if I didn't like him. <laughs> a satirical, like, oh, you want to get into anime? Yeah, I've got the perfect one. Trust me. <laughs> I think it's it's one of those things. I think it's like if you want to kind of understand. Here was a time in anime's history. Yeah, the sandbox era. The, the bubble economy and animators could literally go and do what they wanted because we've seen a fair few examples of that in the stuff that we've reviewed yeah. in the last um, three and a half years. It's just like, yeah, you had an idea, yeah, go for it. And it, like I say, like with Twilight Q, it's just that, yeah, you've got an idea, there's not much... It's a small idea, and it's not a 26-episode TV series. It's not a two-hour movie, but a 40-minute, yeah, 45-minute OVA to just go and do something and, and sell some video cassettes. Yeah, uh-huh. off you go. And, and yeah, and some of them are a bit hit and miss, like the second part of Twilight Q, you know, the second episode of that, which was, yeah, a bit hit and miss and, and didn't really sort of all add up and had sort of, idea bigger ideas than the director knew how to execute properly you know there was a i think there was a solid idea behind that whereas oshi's one the first episode of that was you know quite a masterpiece i think this sits somewhere in between i don't think it's a a masterpiece as the the first episode of twilight q but it's uh, yeah for me it's good i you know i i I thought it was good entertainment um Mm. i say the whole the whole escalation of his problem because he just he almost started the day not knowing any of it you know what's going to happen and before you know it he's being <laughs> he's been yeah. kidnapped by a government organization and and now he's been sort of rammed and sort of chased down by this um runaway ghost train 
yeah. um, which seems almost unstoppable, you know. And, yeah, which seems hell-bent and killing him for some yeah. reason. Yeah, the plausibility behind... Well, no, the plausibility... <laughs> plausibility? No, no, there's... <laughs> No, that's the wrong word. I, I, I said I said that, and I was the thinking of something different. The rationalisation Yeah, maybe the rationalisation. Yeah, not plausibility. Yeah. It's not plausible at all. Well, um, well I'd say it's semi-based, in fact. <laughs> but, you know, the sort of... The rationalisation, yeah, maybe. But the bit behind, you know, with the government organisation, that they that this is, like, it's something, something bigger that they've been looking at, and he's... A, ultimately a small cog or a small part of that yeah um which you know i quite liked um that sort of running power with it i just i just thought it kind of for me there were no pieces missing of the jigsaw in this it it, it had all the right ingredients and they all worked really well for me oh yeah it just it just skipped along you know and you really feel for Tara, and I, and I thought that opening scene was really good because i thought it created a lot of sympathy with the main character Right at the very very beginning, because he he's downtrodden, put upon, yeah. and then his day only gets worse. Yeah, it just gets worse for him as it goes along. Like I say, he's been dumped by his girlfriend, and then he's he's tracked down by a runaway ghost train. And yeah, I just I just thought that all those elements really really worked well for me. But one thing I did notice in this, and there's a shot of Tokyo Station in this, and I recognised it instantly before they said it was Tokyo Station because. Yeah, I recognised yeah. it from our trip to Japan. The um, looking yeah, at the, it from Imperial Palace. Yeah, yeah, and also the the run up uh, yeah. where the where he where the the car finally gives out his little um, yeah his little van car yeah uh, finally gives out on the tracks. So it looked yeah. very similar to where we had the overview of the Shinkansen. That's right. Uh, yeah, coming into the station from uh, from where we were staying in Tokyo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. was a few things. I recognised them. I say I recognised the front of the station before before they even said it. I was like, oh, that's Tokyo Station. Oh, mm. I've been there. I've seen that. I've seen that shot in real life. So yeah, yeah. that was quite cool. I was, you know, they were. That was. Uh, it was nice actually, just sort of be able to spot stuff like that. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Having definitely. seen it in in real life, so. Uh, yeah, it's nice. So yeah, so different view there, Lewis. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're if you are really a fan of the old school, um, I think you will like it. Yeah, I think maybe your generation, maybe there's not quite. I don't know. I'm just spoiled. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, for me, I'd give this an eight. I mean, I would recommend people to go see this. I think this is first and foremost. I think this is great entertainment. Just does everything right for me. But your rating. My rating is like 4.5. Okay, so it's kind of just below average sort of thing. Yeah, like, it's not terrible. It is what it is, but I can't just keep forgiving things for being what they are. No, when, no, and that's... No. When, when if, it, if the story, as a as a whole piece of entertainment... Yeah, as a whole piece of entertainment, you, it, does it does not stand up. Yeah. Yeah, like, for me, it just doesn't stand up. Like, it, it's... It is fun, whimsical, doesn't take itself seriously, and Tarantino's the the ever living hell out of you. But <laughs> it's it's really just a a blip on the yeah, radar. Fair enough. Fair enough.
Okay, our second review today is Here is Greenwood. This is a six-episode OVA released between 1991 and 1993, directed by Momomi Mochizuki and produced by Studio Perio. It was based on a manga by Yuki Nasu, which was released between 1987 and 1991. It did have a DVD release by Media Blasters in 2004, which still appears to be available um, despite that company's troubles. The manga got a US release at the same time as the DVD by Ms. Video, which I think is still in print. So this OVA uh, is based around a character called Kazuya, who has gone to the dorms of a boarding school um, because his brother has married the girl of his dreams and has thus, has thus moved in with them. So he wants to escape and he's ended up in the Greenwood dormitory, which is kind of where all the sort of weirdos go. So this one I'll start with. So I really enjoyed this. I have really fond memories of watching this. I, th- I thought it was really good because it's kind of like a slice of life type thing and it's kind of short and sweet. But actually having watched some other stuff recently, certainly of the beginning of it, my, my view has changed slightly. So having watched the mess that was um, Doku Damasu, the first few episodes kind of, I hadn't really picked up on it before, but Certainly the first few episodes of this, I was a bit like, oh, um, it's a bit dodgy, actually. <laughs> I yeah, this, I, I, I enjoyed the first episode. The second episode, I was like, Ey. Yeah, the second episode especially was kind of like, and I hadn't really picked up on it before. So basically, so the first episode is basically an episode of um, Kazuya. It kind of establishes all the characters. So he moves, you know, sets up the situation at home. He goes to the dormitories. He gets set up with his two senpais in the dormitory. Yeah. He then goes back to the rooms. Um, they kind of play this trick on him where his roommate uh, looks just like a girl, has long sort of lilac hair, and they mm. play a trick on him and say, "Well, she's a girl, but you just got to you know keep it to yourself," sort of thing. Um, yeah. And they sort of have bets on how long it takes for him to realise that actually it's a boy. Um, mm. And, and then sort of say establishes the rest of these characters, which includes this bloke who carries his motorcycle up and down the stairs to his room, uh, which is quite interesting. And then it's, uh, it, it's Animal House, the anime. Yeah, it is almost, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then the, the rest of that episode sort of plays out mostly around him not wanting to go home for the holidays because he doesn't want to be at home with his brother and the, the love of his life sort of thing. Yeah. Um, who's you know she's this really hot girl and she comes to the school to see him and you know all the boys are all tripping over themselves for, uh, over her and stuff and then we get to episode two so Shinobu who's one of his roommates and one of his senpais who's head of the student council or whatever he has this relationship with his sister he's from a very privileged background and forever as they were growing up there's this sort of quite neat little flashback showing how um, his sister was always sort of trying to get one over on him but he'd it would always backfire on her and she'd end up getting into trouble and now as a grown woman with a evil organization behind her wants to get back at him and and yeah her sole purpose she's essentially team rocket with uh yes yes pedophilic tendencies yeah that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it basically she she tries to shoot him and stitch him up and embarrass him and all the rest of it and and it doesn't come but 
it just has these few bits in it which are just really problematic and it's funny how watching other stuff because I've noticed this when you sort of group certain things together suddenly you, you get influenced by stuff that you've seen and yeah there's there's a couple of bits in this second episode and I was starting to think I was like I don't remember the be this episode, OVA being quite as problematic um yeah in this episode there's a bit where Nagisa who's Shinobu's sister um, she goes, she's like, oh, I've had enough of men. And she goes to pull this girl off the straight who's who's actually Shun's younger brother. Underage. Rina, underage, <laughs> underage brother. Who looks like a, is another one with lilac, long lilac hair who looks a yeah. bit, bit sort of feminine. Yeah. And then starts molest, like sort of molesting yeah. her. And I'm like, really? Yeah, it's so, it's so out of whack because it just, it, it, it wasn't even necessary. Yeah, I know, I know. Like all she needed as motive was the fact that like, um, because it doesn't it doesn't give you any backstory on it. It just like it's just like oh yeah, this this is her this is her relationship. They've already had run-ins, but you've not seen them. It's like okay, so I'm just taking part in X distance in their slice of life. Like all she needed to do was abduct someone who was close to a someone of her brother, and like. It was totally unnecessary. Yeah, totally. It totally was, and the, like, I was like, okay, uh, maybe it was just a bad taste thing. But then they keep revisiting it with like a few different parts in that episode. Yeah. I, overall, overall, I just really wanted to skip past it because I was just like, this is horrible. It was genuinely horrible. Yeah, and there's a bit as well where one of the goons, like Rena goes into the shower and one of the goons like tries to not have a peek but has a peek. Yeah. And there's just loads of bits for this episode and I was like, oh man, I, I don't... I just why you know I just didn't remember it being quite as problematic and I thought oh I can't but it's can't the only remember. episode like that so but why yeah, but why is, <laughs> but why exactly and then because afterwards you then get back into like pure slice of life type comedy sort of anime yeah because in episode 3 they basically end up sort of creating this fantasy film for um, the school festival yeah that's um, fun and that's fine um, which has a very, very nice castle of Cagliostro reference mm. in it as well with um, Shun's school play and the um, clock face scene yeah, um, yeah. from that movie, which was quite a nice touch. Then episode four is about this girl that, or this ghost of a girl that starts haunting um, Mitsuru. And that plays out. That's quite a funny episode, I thought, actually. You know, it's quite entertaining. Um, she, he constantly rejects her and, and he's like, why are you haunted me? Yeah. And it turns out she was like, oh, she just wanted to hook up with a hot guy and she found him. So yeah, she's going to pester him. And, I, you know, there's quite a nice bit at the end of that where she brings these other girls. Other ghosts. Yeah. Other ghosts to with the rest of the uh, Kazuya and, and Shinobu and Shun and everything. And then episode five or six changes they, again a little yeah bit. it changes the pacing again it actually becomes a bit like an emotional journey for yeah yeah because you then get into this two-parter essentially where yeah. there's this girl uh, who's a friend of mitsuru's igarashi who um you know she's got a bit of a sort of troubled background you know uh, mm. she's left with a mum she's set mom's up with this mum's not there she's set up with this sort of fiance in inverted commas yeah, he's just um, a really controlling guy. Yeah, but Kezi uh, falls head over heels for her and eventually fights for her and eventually sort of wins her over and, and they end up happily, or they end up together sort of at the mm. very end. So it's a really weird, looking back on it, it's it's kind of a bit of an odd structure. It's, it 
tries to be a bit of everything. Yeah, it is odd. But it's paced well and the characters are well developed. Yeah. Like they're all they're all unique and you can all identify them. Yeah. Uh, and they've all got their like they've all got traits that don't change. Yeah. Um so like that's I really liked it for that. Like I really as it like ignoring episode two. Yeah. The overall experience is it stands up the test of time. Yeah, I think so. I mean the thing the problem is with episode two, if you take the problematic bits out of it, there's actually yeah. some quite I mean the basis of the story's fine. Yeah. There's, there yeah. are some funny bits in it with mm-hmm. you know, the, the sort of one upmanship between Shinobu and um, Nagisa. Yeah. Uh, if, if it didn't take such a tasteless uh, hit yeah. on, on yeah. the, the intro and other parts of it, it would just yeah. being really predatory and pedophilic. Yeah. I would have been like, that was a good episode. But yeah. It was kind of just like when it ended, I was like, oh, I'm glad that's so. Yeah, I know. I was, I was, I, I was like, why did they episode? do it? Like, why would you do it? <laughs> I, just, I, wonder, I, I don't understand. No, I don't. I don't get why you would go. You would suddenly go down that route in this, having not done really anything like that in the first episode, and not really established anything like that. I, I don't quite understand why you would go down that route um, in episode two. But I quite like the sort of journey Kazuya through the. He's trying to get away from his brother and his sister-in-law, and it makes it worse that his brother's the, a male nurse at the the school as well, which. Everyone, you know, kind of questions because it's an all boys school sort of thing. And so there's this sort of unwelcome presence of his brother at the school. His sister's always, or his, his sister-in-law, I should say, who, as I say, his love is his life, you know, wants to look after him, does wants him to live at home. He eventually does go home and she cooks this amazing meal for him and everything else. And he's really happy to be there. But eventually he gets over her. You know, he finds... A, a new lover, you know, and someone, you know, maybe that he's actually got rather than maybe just kind of sort of lusting over or she's maybe this sort of fantasy woman actually finds someone that he has much more of an emotional attachment to. Mm. His sister-in-law is kind of like this almost sort of perfect sort of angelic figure. She's almost untouchable sort of thing. She, he, he could probably never have had her anyway sort of thing, you know, and, and it was just this object of desire that he couldn't have. But in Igarashi actually finds someone his own age and, you know, let's say has that more emotional connection with and it and it works out for him. And and you see him mature through the series as well, because I think by episode four or something, he's now head of the student council or he's on the student council or something. It's portrayed quite subtly, but it's quite effective. You know, there's there's a journey yeah. of growth for him through through this. Yeah, I think he does um, get a little bit taller as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's because I think it obviously plays out over several school years. It does, yeah. I think doesn't it? So, so yeah, I think that slice of life portrayal of Kazuya's life is really quite effective in this. Um, yeah. And again, all the other characters kind of they're not just bit characters in it as well. That that main core of those four characters of out you know with Shun, Mitsuru, and Shinobu. Mm. They all work. They all have their own yeah, kind of issues, their own, own backgrounds, their own problems. Um, yeah. And they all support, you know, they kind of create this quite nice support network for each other. Mm. And there's other little bits going on in the background as well, you know, with like the computer club and the matron that kind of runs the dorm as well and, you know, yeah, trying the, to sneak stuff cult, past her. Yeah, the religious yeah. cult thing. Yeah, the I did feel like thing. I was watching Animal House. The, the, yeah, uh, it definitely does feel like that. Yeah, um, there's definitely was, elements of it. Yeah, 
I, it's, uh, yeah, I think it, it stood up the test of time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it stood up well as well. Actually, I, I, it's um, I think the the sort of constant chatter and the sort of um, on why it sort of bubbles in in the sort of anime fandom sort of conscious is quite validated, uh, really. So um, yeah, I, I'd recommend this ultimately. If it, I say ignoring a few few bits in episode two is ultimately a really entertaining. It's quite laugh out loud funny, especially during sort of episodes one into in places into about three or four are, are quite comedic and then the the way the sort of dramatic story plays out over the two episodes at the end i i just think it's really good those four episodes episode three to six i think are really good writing mm. and you know it's just a really really good quite simple it's not it doesn't really require any too much brain work you can just sit back and enjoy this ova and it, yeah. like I say it will make you laugh. It will make you sad. It will make you cringe. Um, yeah. You know, it will run the whole gamut of emotions, um, which I think is quite a rare thing to find. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm saying the concept is is still and like the the methods it uses. Yeah. For storytelling and character develop, character development are still used to this day. Yeah. So like it does stand at the test of time. I mean, watching stuff that I've watched recently that kind of reminds you know that i think where the, the, these type of things um what is it called um does rascal dream of bunny girl senpai yeah there's little you know i can see elements of greenwood in in that um yeah yeah in um this place in the universe or whatever it was called from a few years ago again some of the character maturity you know again i i can see greenwood in in that so um mm. yeah i mean you know, I'd, I'd wholeheartedly recommend it. I, as you say, it stood up very, very well. 30 years later, you know, nearly 30 years later, it's it's still a very, very good yeah. OVA. And it's I'm, I'm happy to see that it's, well, hopefully that it's still in print um, and that people can go and get this because it's, yeah, it's it's really entertaining. And I think it looks really nice as well. It's got this lovely sort of soft pastel-y sort of animation look to it. Um, yeah, it does really look nice. The characters stand out well against the backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've all got the characters have all got you know sort of very distinctly coloured eyes and coloured hair and stuff. Yeah, they're they're pretty much colour coded as the. They are colour coded. Yes. Yeah. And make sure you know exactly which one's which when the scene's playing out. Yeah, red for the fiery personality, <laughs> blonde for the cool, calm collect. Uh, yeah, yeah. For the the cool one, uh, blue for the calm and collected one. Yeah. Yeah. Lilac for the sort of. Slightly yeah, familiar. the feminine one. Yeah, it's yeah. all, it's all, yeah. it's all there, isn't it? And I mean, very, very 90s, early 90s character designs. They've got that sort of small pointed nose. Yeah. You know, you can firmly set this. If you're familiar with anime over the ages, you 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 see this and go, yeah, that's that's sort of 90 to 95 period anime. You know, it's quite distinct in its aesthetic, really. But yeah, I love I love the soft colourings in the backgrounds and some of the really watercolour scene setting um, of the dormitory and, and stuff and the, the surrounding town and everything, you know. It, I mean, it's not amazing animation, it's but it's nice, you know. It's just, it's smooth, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be especially detailed. It's not like a sort of late 80s mecha OVA, which is, you know, brimming with, with detail. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. But, it, yeah, it looks nice. And I think the, 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 the aesthetic really suits... The storytelling and, and the story that this OVA is telling, you know, it just it all just kind of works really. So, 
yeah, I mean, it's not uh, it's not going to blow your socks off sort of thing, but the way each episode plays out, because each bit, each episode is, apart from the two-parter, which is like an extended episode, it's properly structured. It has a start, middle, and end, you know, and there's a sort of journey which the start of each episode starts on, and it concludes and wraps everything up at the end of that episode. Mm, um, yeah. And the overarching bit, which is Kazuya's growth and his maturity wraps up it's quite funny he's, he starts school late because he's had an ulcer because of what's happened at home yeah um, as much as he tries you know and he's this sort of pathetic kid running away from it um and he matures into this adult dealing with his own problems and taking responsibility for him, himself and pushing himself out of his comfort zone and everything which i think is just fantastically sort of told you know it's just nice it just it just does a really really nice job and you know i i, I remembered this i really liked this a decade ago and i i still really like this now um mm. so um yeah I, I mean it's an eight out of ten for me it's it's up there it's it's a it's a definite recommendation yeah yeah i'd say so too So that wraps up our reviews for today. So next time we will be having an aeronautical themed podcast um, with reviews of the cockpit and Area 88, which I think are probably new to you as well. Blimey, I can say I've never heard of them, but that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. It's a common theme in this podcast. <laughs> there is, Lewis, there is. Yes, these are these are both very well known to me. So You would have uh, thought by 22 episodes I would have somehow coined some knowledge of things but that <laughs> uh, that's, exactly and that's why i keep doing it it's uh these are all these are all sort of you know these are my things from my uh you know my uh growth or history with anime fandom so um yeah the mad yeah. hatter of retro anime yeah pushing them down and see what see what you think of them Mm-hmm. See, see how they stand up to the next generation, really. So, uh. yeah, like a lucky dip of torture and. Uh, <laughs> well, this tr- one was this episode had been that really, hasn't it? So uh, uh, no, I like I thoroughly enjoyed the the Greenwood thing, apart from episode two. Yeah, and then but, but take the X train was a, was a bit of torture for you. Though. Yeah, yeah, take the X train. I would probably have gone out the same <laughs> way if I had to watch it again. <laughs> Uh, fantastic right so where you can find us you can find the podcast on soundcloud itunes stitcher spotify cast fm Castbox, all those sort of places anywhere that hosts podcasts you can generally find it just search for retro anime podcast you can email me in at retroanimepodcast.com we have a website retroanimepodcast.com um, i'm fairly active on the anime uk news forums you can find me uh, my username is organ as in detonator organ 
Um, I also have a Mecha podcast I run as a companion piece to this, Retro Mecha Podcast. Find it in the same places as you find this one. Yes, and that uh, wraps us up. So until next time, Lewis. Until next time. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.